Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was fall, and the harvest was nearing its completion. And everyone was preparing to gather for their normal fall celebrations, a time of feasting, of giving thanks to God for the bounty he had provided that year. And as those celebrations were going on, families gathering together, friends connecting with one another, Jesus took three of his closest friends to the top of a mountain. Now, it wasn't uncommon for these four to go off by themselves, but what Jesus had planned for them on that day was anything but common. And once they got to the top of the mountain, Jesus transfigured before their very eyes. The disciples would later recall that his clothes were so intensely white that they appeared to shine. They were whiter than anything they had ever seen. In the midst of that transfiguration of Jesus, Moses and Elijah appeared and began to speak with Jesus. The disciples didn't quite know what to make of the situation. They simply knew it was good to be there. But then something even more astounding happened. A cloud descended from the heavens, and a voice spoke from in the midst of the cloud, and they heard the Father himself say, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And then before they could orient themselves to try and grasp all that was happening, the whole thing came to an end, and all that was there was Jesus only. This is an incredible story. There's no denying that. We get brief descriptions of an incredibly awesome moment. But even as we consider the story as it's told, we're aware we can't really comprehend all that's going on. Even less than the disciples who are on the mountain with Jesus, we realize that the full magnitude of what is happening is beyond our grasp. Our imaginations might be working overtime to try and picture what this all would have looked like, a white so bright, the, the voice of God, or wondering, what did Moses and Elijah look like? And how did the disciples know that it was them when Jesus didn't introduce them? Our imaginations might try to picture what all of that would have been like. But after hearing it, we're left with this. It's an incredible story. But why do we need to know it? What purpose does the transfiguration have in our everyday faith? How does this story actually help you, where you are now facing the problems you have each and every day? How does the transfiguration go from being a neat story to one that is necessary for the people of God? That question of application is a good question to ask when considering any of the gospel readings. Whenever we encounter Jesus at work in his ministry, he is revealing something to us about who he is and what is going to happen with his life, death, and resurrection, and how that is going to change our everyday reality. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen this again and again. With Jesus casting out demons, with him healing the sick, these accounts are all there to prepare us, to show us for the kind of healing that Jesus promised is to bring, that he will care for our bodies and our souls, that he has promised to do that with the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, 
So when we see him doing those things, he's extending to us a glimpse of what he has planned for you when he returns again in glory. What about the transfiguration? How does knowing that Jesus has exceptionally white clothing provide some kind of hope to you today? Certainly, the story has to be more about more about more than just the kind of laundry services angels can provide. So we need to ask, what's going on? To answer that question, we need to look at where the event of transfiguration happens in the story of Scripture. Our reading for Mark begins today by saying, after six days. Well, six days after what? That should be our next question. It's six days after Jesus tells his disciples that for the very first time, he's going to suffer and die. Now, if you remember how the story unfolds, the disciples don't take that news very well. Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes our Lord for having such a foolish idea that he could possibly suffer and die. And in return, Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, and rebukes Peter in response. It's six days after that event that Jesus takes the men up on the mountain and they hear the command of God that they should listen to his son. Now that's a detail that can help us understand why the transfiguration matters to us, how it helps you, the people of God, as you are before us today. The disciples had refused to believe that Jesus would indeed suffer such things as death. And now the Father has instructed them to pay attention to what Jesus is saying. In that moment, the Father is taking great pains to prepare the men that he loved, the men that he had called to be his children, the men that Jesus had called to be his brothers, to prepare them for the difficult road ahead. Because from that time forward, from this point on, Jesus is focused on moving towards Jerusalem moving towards what he knows to be the coming of the cross, the grave, and the Easter that, a lot, that lays beyond. And that's why we hear that story now. In the late winter, instead of in the fall where it likely occurred, because the church in her wisdom is turning our own eyes toward Jerusalem, focusing our own eyes on the journey toward the holy city that waits with the cross and a grave for our arrival as well. The turn toward Jerusalem is no more joyful or easy for us than it was for the disciples at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Because when we depart Epiphany and enter into Lent at the end of this service, we mark this transition by singing these words. But by Babylon's sad waters, mourning exiles now are we. That one little word, that but, but by Babylon's sad waters. The but at the beginning of that phrase, at the end of the verse of our final hymn, changes things for us and life in the church, just as it did for the disciples when Jesus began to focus on the future in Jerusalem. It's the recognition, as that same hymn will say, that Alleluia cannot always be our song while here below. Alleluia, our transgressions make us for a while forgo, for the solemn time is coming when our tears for sin must flow. It's the nature of Lent. 
that it turns our focus inward as we take deeper, more honest looks at our own sin to remind us of the need for a Savior, to remind us that Jesus turning to Jerusalem is something he must do for our sake. Just like the disciples who first rejected Jesus' instructions regarding the news that he was going to suffer and die, our own rebellious and sinful nature seeks to reject the increased call to repentance, the increased acknowledgement that because sin is in creation, we are all going to die. And the frailties of this life are constant reminders that soon death will be calling our names as well. Nobody really wants that reminder of death. Sure, we'll all admit that unless Christ returns, we're going to die, but we certainly live as if we're trying to avoid it. It's for this reason, even though we know that death is coming, so many are unwilling to plan for it at all. As you may have seen as you were coming in today or read about in the yellow sheet or in a letter that was coming to your home, our congregation is offering a free program to help you plan ahead with wills and estates for any member who wants to use the service. We're doing this because it's an important part of stewardship to plan ahead for what will happen to what God has entrusted to your care. Because we know that the end of life will come, and yet less than half of all people will ever plan for that day's arrival. Why? Because we are like the disciples. We don't like to think about the end, and we try to find all the ways we can to rebuke any reminder that the wages of sin is death, and until Christ returns, death will come for us all. That's why we turn our eyes to Jerusalem with Jesus. That is why we recognize that Alleluia cannot always be our song while here below, because God comes and awakens our imagination to let us know that the future is coming. But that's also why the story of the transfiguration matters, because it shows us something different that waits for us on the other side of death. That is why he takes us to the mountaintop to experience the story our imaginations can only grasp. And that's why the transfiguration matters to you. It lets you see past death. It lets you see through the grave that is now open to show that death is conquered through Christ and life will come for us all. Because when you can imagine something different, when the story of the transfiguration allows you to see the fullness of Christ, a glimpse of his glory, your imagination wonders, what could that possibly mean for me? Your imagination begins to give you hope, and that hope can give you peace. Because when Jesus transfigures before us today, he's giving the disciples and us a glimpse of his glory, a glimpse of Easter. He wants us to take the reality of death seriously, but he wants you to imagine that there is something even stronger than death itself. It's the resurrection of the dead and life in the world to come. A new creation in which there is no sin, there are no tears, and there is no sorrow, and mourning shall cease. The transfiguration invites you to imagine a moment where you can have hope that God has kept his promise to all people. By revealing his glory, Jesus reveals his divinity. 
He shows us that he is the Son of God who is always with you, interceding for you before the Father in heaven, ruling over creation and loving you with his everlasting love. He gives you a glimpse of Easter, the promise of the resurrection, so that you do not get caught in despair or doubt. He gives you a glimpse of his glory so that you will know that his defeat over death is your victory over as well. He gives you the transfigurations so that you no longer have a reason to fear because God is a living God, a God who is the God of the living, which means you as his children must have life as well. He gives you the transfiguration so your imagination can begin to picture something different, something better, something greater than this world could ever give, the promise of eternal life. Hope, as we will sing at the end, that we will keep his Easter with the faithful saints on high who are already there, forever singing our Alleluia's joyfully. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.